know you would have thought that Steve, I believe your name is, is that correct? Steve and I would have consulted together on uh, these opening comments. On the way up here, uh, up 131, just south of Schoolcraft, uh, I actually turned around to see if what I saw, thought I saw, was really true, and it was. There's a, uh, and you may know it, a, uh, a home that apparently was a, an old church, a brick church, and they've fixed it up beautifully and live in it as a home. But there's one problem. You know, in those old churches, typically in the back behind the church, they had what? A cemetery. And some of you may even know that house. Uh, how would you like to live in a beautiful home that used to be a church? The only problem is your backyard is an old cemetery. Well, quite frankly, that might be a healthy thing to uh, remember that one day uh, you'll be in the grave yourself. I, uh, I have that happen probably at least five times a week. I live by a state park. Uh, named uh, Potato Creek State Park, and there's an old graveyard in there. And years ago, I bought graves in that graveyard because they were dirt cheap, (laughs) $150 a piece. The thing is, I park there, and uh, my dog and I take a hike and come by, by there, and I've made it a habit of often going over and standing on that grave just to remind myself that one day I'll be in there, and what do I want them to say about me? as they gather around um, the, the grave there. What, what do I want my eulogy to be? One thing that's nice is I have several friends that also have graves there, and we kiddingly say that on Resurrection Day, and there is truth to it, we're going to pop up out of the ground and wave to each other. You know, and we're on our way on Resurrection Day. Uh, it's interesting uh, In South Bend, where I live, I have a friend that owns nine funeral homes, Palmer Funeral Homes. And uh, last year, they came to me and they said, listen, we have over 50% of our people now do not have churches or pastors. And if they request that they want a pastor, would you be available to do funerals? And at first I said, well, give me some time to think about this. And I came back and I said, if I can give the gospel, if I can preach the gospel at that funeral, let other people talk about the dead. Let me talk to the living who will be dead, then I'll do that. So I I, uh, am acquainted with death all the time. And uh, it's interesting to hear what other people have to say. Just this past week, I buried a... Uh, a wonderful lady, uh, she had had Alzheimer's for years, but a solid Christian lady, but her son is actually the vice president of a university, very, very intelligent guy and very articulate, and he got up and read a poem that he had written, and it was the craziest thing in the world. Uh, what became evident was that he does not believe in eternal life or resurrection or anything, so it's, you, you just kind of live through other people and your memories and I got up, and I think I had a whole lot more to say. I gave some, some hope to people at a time such as that. Well, you know, after the uh, death and the burial of Jesus Christ, if at the end of uh, Luke chapter 23, that was the end of the story, you'd be pretty hopeless, pretty dejected. Um, and there were two guys who were. But there were rumors of a resurrection. And they knew that 
Jesus had said this, but then again, uh, we've never seen a resurrection. You know, I, uh, I like to ask funeral directors on when we're in the car to tell me the craziest thing that's ever happened. And uh, I have a, a professor who would ask that, this question of all funeral directors. He'd always set them up. He'd say, uh, I suppose you've planted a lot of them. And they say, yeah. You ever see one sprout? <laughs> well, no. And that gave him the opportunity to share with the funeral director the, uh, uh, the hope of eternal life. Probably the craziest one I heard about was at my own father's uh, funeral. We were going to the graveyard, and I said to the funeral director, what's the craziest thing that's ever happened? And, and it was a female. She said, well, it actually happened last week. She said, we had a police officer uh, on a motorcycle leading the procession to the graveyard. We were behind him, and all of a sudden, he turned off the highway into a housing development. I thought, well, I don't know about what this is about, but we followed him and went down a couple side streets, and he pulled into a house. The garage door went up, and he pulled his motorcycle into the garage. He turned around, and he goes, oh, I forgot I was leading a procession. He went home. <laughs> the highway happened to be right by his housing development, and out of habit, he went home. And of course, he had to get back out and lead the procession through all that. So crazy things can happen. But I assume you're all familiar with the portion of Scripture called the Emmaus Walk. And it's called that because that's what it was. Two disciples, not of the twelve, had left Jerusalem on this day, Easter Sunday morning, and all their dreams had died. All their hopes that they had pinned on Jesus being the Messiah were now buried and dead. And it was a hopeless walk. It was a depressing walk. It was a a walk back home where if there is no resurrection of the dead, what they ought to do when they get home is eat, drink, and be merry, because tomorrow you die. There's no hope of eternal life. If there is no resurrection, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15 of the dead, if Christ did not rise from the dead, then we're not either, and we are of all men the most miserable. We've been deceived. But if Jesus Christ rose from the dead, then he'll lead a procession of those who follow. If you'd follow along with me in Luke chapter 24, beginning in verse 13, it says, That very day, and as I shared, that's uh, today, Easter Sunday, Two of them, uh, remember that Jesus sent out 70 at one time. Some translations say 72. There were other disciples. Two of them were were going, that is walking, to a village named Emmaus about seven miles from Jerusalem. They had been in Jerusalem for Passover and all the events, the triumphal entry where they're saying, uh, uh, Hosanna in the highest, clear down to crucify him, crucify him and then putting him in a borrowed tomb. They were walking back home again, seven miles. It's interesting that one of these gentlemen is named Cleopas, but in reality, they're kind of two unknowns. 
going to an unknown city. No one's ever for certain found Emmaus. And I think there's a lesson there. Here this is, resurrection morning. Where's Jesus? Walking with two unknowns to an unknown place. Huh. Don't be surprised where Jesus shows up. Now, if I were Jesus, I'd have shown up at Pilate's house and introduced myself. Or over with Herod. Uh, Maybe down at the temple to show those scribes and Pharisees a thing or two. But he's out on an unknown road to an unknown village with two unknown people. And he's here today. Jesus shows up where he's wanted and where he's least expected. Not many mighty, not many noble are called. And here are two guys walking back home in all their dreams are shattered. Horrible things that happened. You know, it's called Holy Week. Someone shared that it really ought to be called Hell Week, if you know what that is, from Navy SEALs, where you're tested to the limit. And it says, and they were talking with each other about all the things that had happened. Actually, in the original language, all the events that had converged upon one another, piled up, all this confusion over the events that occurred this last week, these things. They were confused. They were perplexed at what had happened in that last week. And on our screen, uh, if we go to the next picture, uh, there it is. Uh, These pictures always reminds me somewhat of uh, Starry, Starry Night with Van Gogh. Just depression, walking home but walking home in depression. My goodness, with death, I've seen it so many times. I've seen, uh, I've seen widows throw their bodies across the top of a closed casket. I've seen a man who didn't follow, didn't uh, watch his two-year-old daughter at the swimming pool throw himself across her casket at the graveyard, weeping because he had neglected to watch her and she drowned. I've watched a widow curse her husband out at his casket, publicly. (laughs) Uh, They're walking along, they're really confused, they're depressed. The next verse says, while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and walked along with them. He went along with them. Two walking discussing, and by the way, these words here, talking and discussing, these were Jews. Now, this word doesn't mean just carrying on a normal conversation. It means more like tossing ideas back and forth. Uh, they're, they're pretty animated when they talk. This is an interesting statement, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. It wasn't just that they didn't recognize him, but for some reason... And I'll submit to you a little bit later why I think it is. Uh, Jesus didn't want them to know it was him. And he said to them, what's this conversation you're holding with each other as you walk? What are you guys talking about? What are you so animated about? By the way, what are people talking about on Easter Sunday morning? What do you think most people are talking about today? about all the events that are happening. I think a lot of talk going on about politics. 
Because that's where our Savior's at, right? If one day we could just get the right candidate in there, be like a Messiah to us. Maybe they like basketball. They're talking about March Madness. Opening day of baseball. All that's going on with that. What are people talking about? Ham or turkey? (laughs) That's an important conversation, isn't it? The weather. People don't like to talk about death. You want to ruin a good conversation? Start talking about death. People don't want to talk about it. And he said to them, what are you guys talking about? And they stood still looking sad. (laughs) And uh, this is interesting here. The next verse says, then one of them named Cleopas... It's the only time he's ever mentioned in Scripture. Uh, he answered him and he said, and, and I believe this is the way it was said, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? Where have you been? You know, that tells us something. I remember reading a scholarly work years ago that said, you need to understand that this triumphal entry and the events in Jesus' life during that holy week and his crucifixion, nobody would have known about that. That was just some little thing that happened off on the side during Passover. It wouldn't have caught anybody's attention. (laughs) That's not true. There were thousands and thousands of pilgrims that would come to Passover, the big event. In Jerusalem, it was packed. Uh, And he said, you don't know what's been happening? Everybody knows about this. This was the main attraction, the main event at Passover this year. And he said to to them, well, what things? (laughs) And they said, concerning Jesus of Nazareth. You know, generally, that's a derogatory statement. In this case, I don't think it is. It's interesting. After the resurrection, and here, Jesus of Nazareth did not have the negative connotation. They were kind of proud of it, that he came from Nazareth. And here he is showing up in Nazareth and now on some path to an unknown village with unknown guys. He was a man. That's true. He is Jesus of Nazareth. He is a man who was a prophet. And that's true too. All throughout Scripture, he was a prophet. He was mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. Jesus said, I didn't do anything off in secret. Why why are you coming to me now with swords secretly in the Garden of Gethsemane? I was with you every day in the temple. I I spoke openly. I wasn't hiding away. Right before God, and it means pleasing to God. In the face of God and the face of people, I I did great deeds and mighty words. The temple guards were sent to arrest him. They came back empty-handed. They said, where is he? And they said, no man ever spoke like this man. They just couldn't arrest him. All that's true of Jesus But he was more than that. And it says, And how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death. And they crucified him. You know, this is one case where all the politicians and all the religious leaders got together and agreed on something throughout Scripture. Herod, Pilate, Romans, the Jews, 
Jewish leaders all agreed on this. Kill him. Crucify him. He's a, an imposter. He's an insurrectionist. And then in verse 21, he sa- they say, But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. We had pinned all our hopes on him, and now he's dead. They crucified him. We're going back home, and I guess we'll just live out our days. The dream is over. The dream that this one was the one, the promised Messiah, who would redeem Israel. And that's where they made their big mistake. The word redeem means to buy back, to set free. And they say, Israel. No, no, he came for a much bigger thing, and that is to redeem the world. And not primarily from Rome, but from their own sins. You see, there's a deeper issue at hand than who's in leadership in Rome or who's in leadership in D.C. Who's in rulership in here? I always say it matters more what's happening in C.C., Craig Clapper, than D.C. Put your own initials in there. <laughs> it matters more who, what's going on in what? Put your initials then in D.C. And that's where they had pinned all their hopes on. This Messiah who would come and deliver us from Rome. G.K. Chesterton, I love this, says this. Remember this. For every thousand that are chopping at the branches of evil, there's one that chops at the root. I have some property. It's an infested field of uh, fence row that I've worked on for years that's infested with um, Malta flora rose, if you know what that is. It's impossible to get rid of. I'll fight it my whole life. They brought it over thinking it would make great uh, natural fence po- or, uh, fence rows, and it does. Nothing get through it. But once it's in there, that baby's not coming out. They claim it'd take 20 years for the roots to die. Sin's always going to spring up unless you chop at the root. Jesus came to chop at the root. He came to save us from our sins, not from political tyranny. And that's the problem with these guys. They, they were thinking about their daily lives, but they weren't looking too deeply inside, apparently, even though they were disciples. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Why does it say that? Not just because it's been three days. You see, the Talmud, the Jewish uh, writings, thought was this, that a, uh, a person's spirit hovers around their body for three days and can enter back in. But after three days, no hope. It's gone. That's why Lazarus, that's why Jesus waited before going to Lazarus to make certain they knew he was dead, that when he rose him from the, raised him from the dead, it wasn't because his spirit had not really left. And then verse 22, they say, Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, 
And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Well, he said he was going to. Listen to this. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb, that was Peter and John, and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. False hope. False hopes of this resurrected Jesus. Some, and it's not by chance it says some women. You see, at that time, a woman was not even allowed to uh, give testimony in a court of law. They weren't trusted. It's interesting that Jesus chose that the first to see him resurrected were women and um, held them in high regard. But they said, some, some, some of our women went and saw that, and then Peter and John went, but we, his body, they didn't, they didn't see him. A little bit of hope, but still seemed like idle words, it says in another passage. And then he said to them, so far we've had this, uh, this dialogue, and now they're going to get some direct communication from this unknown traveler, Jesus. By the way, this was very, very common in that day when you walked. They, they did a lot of walking to just have conversations with people with you. And then hospitality was huge as well, as we're going to see. And then this stranger says... Oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Well, you know, Cleopas spoke pretty directly to him. Are you the only visitor that doesn't know what's going on? Where have you been at? You're in the dark. Jesus said, well, you're foolish. <laughs> you're slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. In this word, all, is important because, you see, they had selected the passages about the coming Messiah that they wanted, where he would rule as king over evil and destroy Rome and any others that would be evil. He'd destroy evil, but they left out the part of how that was going to be accomplished. Was it not necessary that the Christ, the Messiah, should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? You know, one of the problems this last week is people want to rush to Easter Sunday, but you can't get to Easter Sunday without going through Good Friday. Even the fact we call it Good Friday. I mean, we know why it's good, but it was pretty horrific as well. But have you ever thought about that? You know, one of the really nice things this year and in most recent years, when I was a, a pastor... Uh, Holy Week was so busy. We ran uh, sometimes services uh, four nights a week. But, uh, and then the, you have your extra services Friday and so forth. I remember thinking, I wish I had a year where I could just reflect deeply every day on the events of that week. Read them in scripture. What were the teachings Jesus was doing? How all the tension was building? Um, and this now I can do that. So I've done that all week, and it just builds and builds, but it gets worse and worse. The tension just builds, and um, you experience all that the Scriptures have said, that he had to suffer these things first. There is the Passion Week, and then enter into glory. 
And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. I believe that's why he intentionally kept their eyes closed as to who he was. He didn't want their faith to depend upon the fact they had just seen him, but on the scriptures. You see, that's what we have today, isn't it? We haven't visibly seen Jesus But the scriptures make him known, and the Holy Spirit will work through those scriptures and make it real to us. And it says, uh, he taught them out, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all these scriptures the things concerning himself. Wouldn't you love to have had that walk with him where Jesus is walking along and he says, wait, wait. Clear back in the book of Genesis, when they put clothing on Adam and Eve, they had to slay an animal. That was a picture of suffering. And then all the animal sacrifices. And then what I'm sure he would have done was, and don't you remember he talked to Nicodemus and he said, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so shall the son of man be lifted up so that whoever looks to him will live Isaiah 53 had to be there, that wonderful passage about the crucifixion. He walked through and he explained it. These are all passages about the Messiah. Don't be selective. All these things had to happen. There had to be death, penal substitution, so that sins are paid for before he sets up his kingdom in coming glory. Their sad talk turned into, or walk turned into a scriptural walk. The scriptures will speak to your heart deeply. They'll open your eyes to see Jesus. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. What? Seven miles? What? Uh, It was a sad walk, so my guess is they were walking pretty slow. Maybe that took them about three hours. He acted as if he was going to go on further. But they urged him strongly, saying, stay with us. It's toward evening in a day is now spent, so he went in to stay with them. What if they hadn't said that? Now, scholars would say this was just normal hospitality, and really, I'm certain that's true. But also, it's interesting, they said it's getting late. and They didn't have Holiday Inn Expresses and so forth. And when it gets late, it gets dark, and when it's dark, it's dangerous. We're intrigued by you. Um, Going to say a little bit later, Our hearts burned within us while you shared the scriptures with us. They said, come and stay with us. You know, that's our responsibility, isn't it? To tell Jesus, stay with me. Open up the scriptures. I'll I'll open my home to you. Be hospitable. But I believe they were fearful people, and they were also fearful for Jesus, this friend. It's a dark, scary world out there. People can get killed. And when he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it. He broke it and he gave it to them. Now, there's something really strange about that already. He's at their house. It's not his job to break their bread. It's their job to do that. He's acting like he's in charge. He's acting like he's the host. But there's a reason here. He broke the bread and he blessed it. And that means he said a prayer. 
and I propose to you, and no one knows for sure here why they, this happened. I think he said something different than what's normally said over the breaking of the bread. I think he said what they knew, they had heard he had said at that last Passover, at the last supper, where he broke it and he said, this is my body broken for you. My personal opinion is he said that there. And their eyes were open. They recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. Right when you'd want him to tell me more. He vanished from their sight. Why? He wanted them, their faith to be, te- be, te- be determined, settled upon the scriptures, not his coming and going, and what he had just done in the breaking of the bread. It says her eyes were open. Let's go further and see what happens. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us when he talked to us on the road and when he opened to us the scriptures? Does your heart burn within you? When somebody opens the scriptures or when you're reading them yourselves. One time uh, we went up to Maranatha Bible Conference. It's in Muskegon, Michigan. You take a vacation right on the beach and they have special singers and speakers. And there was this speaker there. His name is Alistair Begg from Cleveland, Ohio. He's from Scotland. So as he says, anybody will listen to me for three Sundays just because they want to hear my accent. <laughs> uh, he's got a great accent. But he was preaching, and, and I didn't often at that time sit under other preaching. I, I had to listen to myself. And uh, I was sitting there, and it was just, he was opening the scriptures. My heart was burning within me. I looked at my wife, and I said, does this happen when I preach? She said, sometimes. <laughs> Have you ever had your heart just burn within you? The Holy Spirit is speaking to you when he opens up the scriptures to you. And they rose. (laughs) And now it's not a sad walk. It's a delighted walk. And it's a faster walk. It says they rose that same hour. Wait, no, it's late. It's dangerous out there. They're not afraid anymore. They experienced a resurrected Jesus who blew the doors off death. And now... Oh, death, where's your sting? Oh, grave, where's your victory? They returned to Jerusalem. We need to remember, this is late at night, and they had seven miles. I bet this time it only took them like an hour and a half. And they found the 11, and those who were gathered together, the early church was gathered, and they were saying, the Lord is risen indeed, and he's appeared to Simon. I don't think it's by chance it says, and to Simon, the least expected, the one who really shouldn't have had any hope, denied Jesus three times. And a legitimate person to say that he appeared, even Simon said he appeared to them. And they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. I don't know about you, that just, that's just a, an amazing statement to me. He was made known to me in the breaking of the bread. What does the breaking of the bread represent that he had just really shown in communion? This is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. We also, 
should experience him in the breaking of the bread. But that also speaks of sacrifice. And you do this until he comes. And they told what happened on the road. They started telling everybody else. And by the way, the tense of that is, isn't one time they told it. I think if you knew Cleopas and whoever this was with him, every time they got around people, hey, let me tell you about the time I took, had, took a walk to, the, to Emmaus and Jesus walked with us. I think it's those who knew them well probably thought after a while, we've heard that story before. <laughs> it was a highlight of their lives. The time Jesus took that walk with them. And it was a fearful, doubting, hopeless walk that had turned into a hope-filled walk for the rest of their lives. Because Jesus rose from the dead. Their sins were paid for. He chopped at the root of evil. And now they could live their lives with the hope of eternal life and the power of the resurrection living in their own souls to give them strength to live and not be afraid of death. Are you afraid of death? You know, we there's so many euphemisms that people use for death, you know. Undertakers call you so-and-so past. Did they die? <laughs> this be truthful here. And yet we have a hope that others don't have. I was thinking that if we didn't know the rest of the story, actually, I wish in some ways I didn't. One author, I forget his name, said, be it hereby enacted that every year we forget everything we ever heard about Jesus and read the Gospels afresh and anew. Just think of how wonderful that would be. They killed him? He rose from the dead? He's coming back? Yeah, that's the story, but we've heard it so many times before. I actually uh, pulled this up to listen to it on the way here, and it got me kind of charged up driving up here. There's a, an old song written by a 12-year-old kid named Claude Ely, who became a Virginia preacher. Now, this song has been sung by many. Johnny Cash made it pretty popular. And today, Bethel Music has a good rendition out on it. It's called Ain't No Grave. Do you know this song? Ain't no grave gonna hold my body down. Listen to part of the words. Ain't no grave gonna hold my body down. Ain't no grave gonna hold my body down. I'm going to rise up out of the ground because there ain't no grave going to hold my body down. There was a battle, a war between death and life. And there was a tree. The Lamb of God was crucified. And he went on down to hell and he took back every key. He rose up as a lion. And he set the captives free. Oh, if you walked out of that grave, then I'm walking out too. If you walked out of that grave, then I'm walking out too. And then it says this, and I'm following Jesus. <laughs> Jesus walked up 
out of that grave. And if you accept him as your personal Lord and Savior, if you receive him into your life, then your future is, then you're walking out too. (laughs) And you don't have to be afraid of death. You don't have to be afraid of death. Death is no longer a period. It's a comma. (laughs) And then, then, is that kingdom that we all long for right now where there is no evil, there is no pain, no sorrow, no heartache, no disease, no death. We catch glimpses of that now. But until that day, he wants us to live with tremendous hope. And as the song stops, or says at the end, and until then, I'm following Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that the story didn't end last Friday. A horrible death to an honorable man. But three days later, today, you rose up out of that grave. You blew the doors off death and evil. Satan will not win. Until that day, may we live going back to Jerusalem, that hopeful walk, rather than our walk to Emmaus back home with our dreams shattered. May we know both the uh, power of the resurrection in our own lives, but also the fellowship of your suffering as we're being made conformable to your death and to attain to the resurrection of the dead ourselves, as your word says. Father, I pray that by your spirit and by your scriptures, we would grow and grow in confidence of this and live following Jesus. And we pray this in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen.